This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, August 25th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. More than 6 million Americans are members of a United Methodist Church. That's according to 2020 data from the denomination. That number will certainly be shrinking soon, due in large part to churches disaffiliating themselves with UMC over the issue of human sexuality. One church considering a departure is Central United Methodist Church in Fayetteville, the largest Methodist church in the state. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore brings us this report. On June 26, 2015, the United States Supreme Court held a 5-4 decision on Obergefell v. Hodges requiring all states to grant same-sex marriages and recognize same-sex marriages granted in other states. But would churches be required to host and officiate these weddings? Or perhaps the question that the United Methodist Church would spend the next seven years wrestling with, should our churches host and officiate same-sex weddings? Every four years, leaders from the United Methodist Church gather as a legislative body to discuss business and other issues. And when I say collectively, I mean collectively. The UMC is a global church, which means leaders from across the world meet to decide on changes or amendments to the Book of Discipline, which is a bit like the Constitution for Methodists. In May of 2016, just under a year since the ruling on Obergefell, the UMC General Conference took up the topic of what they called human sexuality. Involving, uh, in particular, gay and lesbian persons, but impacting the entire LGBTQIA community. That's Gary Muller, Bishop of the Arkansas Conference of the United Methodist Church. The General Conference in 2016 decided to create a subcommittee to help provide options to address churches with different beliefs on gay marriage and the church's role in the process, with a special session being called for 2019 in St. Louis. Essentially, three options were laid out, the first being called the One Church Plan. Which would have allowed May language, and by that I mean pastors would have the option of marrying same-sex couples, but they wouldn't have to. Those who could not, in good conscience, would be protected. Another was the Connectional Conference Plan, which was a way of realigning the denomination into two major groups, where the two would have their own separate bishops and leaders, but still all fall under the title of United Methodists, regardless of their stance on human sexuality. The third was the traditional plan. And it was meant to clarify the church's existing stance and to tighten down some ways in which accountability would occur. This plan made no intentions of leaving room for May language. The traditional plan was meant to be authoritative. 2019 comes, and by a majority vote, the traditional plan is passed. During that 2019 special session, another piece of legislation passed, which allowed for churches to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. Because uh, they could not agree with the church's stance. And so, after that special session, the thought was that the more liberal churches would be the ones to disaffiliate. But, as we have seen in Arkansas, it is actually the more traditional churches who are looking to leave. The label that's often used around these churches who plan to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church is traditional. That's the word that I've seen a lot. What exactly makes a church traditional? Well, um, actually, there's a, I, would, I would add a slight tweak to that. It's not just traditional. It would be traditionalist 
uh, with an IST at the end, and it is going to be more theologically conservative, and, and that is in everything from basic doctrines of the church to how scripture is interpreted, and in terms of the issue at hand, uh, that group would uphold what it considers the biblical view of marriage between a man and a woman. Okay. So uh, a traditionalist church would be opposed to LGBTQ people serving in leadership roles in the church as well? Is that my understanding? Well, I, it's, it's actually a quite a bit more nuanced than that. Okay. Even though the church says that uh, the practice of, of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, there is a large section that talks about the sacred worth of every individual, calls for strident civil rights protections, welcomes all people into the life of the church, and invites them to serve as members. So the, really the prohibitions are around ordination and also marriage. But the church welcomes all into the ministry of the church, is in ministry fully with them, and invites them to be in ministry as laypersons. But the, they just wouldn't be allowed to have a, a wedding in that facility, right? That's correct. Okay. And a United Methodist, any United Methodist pastor cannot perform a wedding. Central United Methodist Church in Fayetteville is the largest congregation in Arkansas. And on August 10th, they wrote to Bishop Muller their intention to enter the discernment process. When I spoke to the bishop last week, he was fully prepared to attend the first mandated listening session on Sunday, August 28th. Since we spoke, the bishop has decided to reject their request, claiming that the language used in the letter was too vague. Two members of Central expressed concern that the letter used shorthand language from an informal checklist rather than specific language from the Book of Discipline. Pastor Carnus Vaughn says the language used in their letter was almost identical to others who are looking to disaffiliate and has reached out to the bishop's office for more clarity. The meeting on Sunday has since been postponed, but it seems likely that the church will fix the language in the letter to the bishop and resume the process. What would a church lose from leaving the United Methodist denomination? I think that what would be gone would be the United Methodist sense of connectionalism, where we are connected through a series of relationships and ministries. And uh, so, for instance, in the state of Arkansas, our disaster response has coordinators in every region of the state, uh, volunteers from numerous churches. And when there's a natural disaster, our system kicks in wonderfully and is there to help immediately. I think that what would be missed would be a deep, deep fellowship that has roots going back hundreds of years. And I think what would be missed is an opportunity to have a church that I call the heart of United Methodism that spans the broad middle between moderates who are on the right side of the equation and centrists who are on the left side. So, so much of it is relationship. And, and there are a lot of people who are second, third, fourth, fifth generation United Methodists, and their life has been shaped by the United Methodist Church. And of course, it's important to, to understand that this decision is only a decision to leave. 
not what the church does next. That is a separate decision if the church does vote to leave and if it is ratified by the annual conference. Many of these traditionalist churches who are serious about disaffiliation are looking to become part of the global Methodist church. Bishop Muller told me that there are currently more than 60 United Methodist churches in Arkansas, approximately 10% of all United Methodist churches in the state who are considering disaffiliation. Recent reporting from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette has upped that number to 82. Is that, you know, is that concerning to you as a bishop of a, of a denomination where churches are working on getting rid of Methodism in a United Methodism, I should say. I realize that global Methodism is is a, a tag yeah. that they're looking to stick with. But does that worry you? I will say this: it breaks my heart that there is a fracture in the body of Christ. Jesus was very clear that we are to live in unity with each other. The Apostle Paul went into detail talking about now. How do you make that work when people are at odds with each other? So my my heart breaks over the fact that the church is being splintered. As I look at the the Christian church as a whole here in America, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church where my oldest brother couldn't be a deacon at the church because he had been divorced. You know, there are churches, evangelical churches across the country where women can't be pastors. You know, we are you know, looking at a place now where, you know, I know United Methodist pastors who are divorced. I know United Methodist pastors who are women. <laughs> Do you think that perhaps this is just, you know, kind of, as you said, a, a polarizing factor that we may look back on in 20 years and think, wow, we really kind of went a little too hard too fast on an issue like uh, LGBTQ or, you know, as, as the church is calling it, human sexuality? Do you worry that we're overblowing this and that it's becoming a bigger deal than it ought to be? I have no idea what the future brings. Uh, the older I get, Matthew, the less often I'm right about what's going to happen. I think you raise a point that history gives a perspective that we never have in the moment. And I'm going to leave that for my successors to figure out about what happened. This is, it's an issue about which people feel very strongly on on both sides. You know, I, I, I believe this when I say you can have two United Methodists who disagree very radically on on matters around full inclusion. And they both love Jesus, and they both love the church, and they both want what's best for their church. And I think that one of the things I hope is that we can learn in the midst of this this kind of tension and, and division to trust the best intentions of others, and to respect decisions, and to know that at some point in the history, there may be a very different view. But that's, um, that's going to be after my time. Church members must vote in a two-thirds majority in order to officially begin the process of disaffiliation. Two churches so far in Arkansas have done so. First United Methodist Church in Jonesboro voted by a 69% margin to do so. 
and Cabot UMC voted in favor by a 79% margin just this past Sunday. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. Nelson Hackett was an enslaved man in Fayetteville in the middle of the 19th century. He fled the city and made it to Canada. An ensuing legal battle regarding his fate created an international dispute that eventually resulted in Canada remaining a refuge for those escaping from bondage. We've reported on his story here before. Monday evening, there will be a forum about how the city can memorialize Hackett, led by Michael Pierce, director of the Nelson Hackett Project, and Karee Banton, director of the African and African American Studies Program at the University of Arkansas. They both came to our studio Tuesday. The first person in all of Favel's history um, who was probably, you know, talked about um, in the halls of Congress, in Parliament. Before uh, the Queen. Before the Queen, there's even um, a, um, a British abolitionist uh, I'm sorry, a Canadian abolitionist took the uh, the case of Nelson Hackett and later before Queen Elizabeth and, and Prince Albert. And, you know, this is a humble black man, um, an enslaved person who escapes, um, a person who, if most people thought about it, um, they would say this person has no power. Um, no ability to shape his own future. And, and what Nelson Hackett did is through his own actions um, become known all the way throughout the world. And his actions um, led way, um, instigated um, the process by which um, Canada um, what became a safe refuge for those fleeing slavery in America. And um, one of the things that we are trying to do is to increase this recognition um, that African Americans, that black people, that enslaved people played important roles in creating Northwest Arkansas. And um, if, if you look at the way history is publicly celebrated, not only in Fayetteville, but throughout the region, um, this early black presence, um, with a couple of notable exceptions most recently, um, ha has been ignored. And what we're trying to do with the Nelson Hackett Project and the forum um, that will be at the library on Monday is to um, make this black presence, this black past, um, visible again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we have particular narratives that tend to define a space. You know, um, Fayetteville has a reputation about the kind of politics that, you know, lives here and um, the kinds of people who are here. And, you know, and, and sometimes... As we know, um, people get erased, gentrification happens, um, erasure happens in the storytelling, and that's a function of power, right? And I think having this forum where uh, Fayetteville residents can be properly appraised of this long history and the people who have been here um, since the founding of this space I think can help them reimagine this place anew and th and think about what they would like 
Fayetteville and Northwest Arkansas to be going forward in terms of the kinds of people, sentiments, stories that define this area? One of the challenges, right, with a plaque or a statue or some sort of public reminder, memorial, is you can't tell the whole story, right? I mean, that's challenging. It'd be great to see a marker on the square about Nelson Hackett, but it's not going to be able to tell all that we'd love to tell. Well, I think the plan on the marker is to have a QR code Ah. that will take you to the Nelson Hackett Project Mm -hmm. and um, where more information can be found. Um, you know. it's, and it's indeed, uh, this project is extensive. Um, thanks to Dr. Pierce. Um, the website, um, you know, contains uh, evidence from the local archives, you know, maps of his journey to Canada, um, you know, additional readings, you know, um, I think a, a wealth of information that I think, uh, visitors would be quite surprised by, and that is part of what we wish to share with residents of Fayetteville in this public forum so that they can get to know Nelson Hackett as intimately as the Nelson Hackett Project um, shows him and to add a little bit more diversity to to the People who have defined or brought the local, the locality of Fayetteville in Northwest Arkansas into the global. And no one exemplifies that more than Nelson Hackett. Dr. Karee Banton is director of the African and African American Studies Program at the University of Arkansas. Michael Pierce is director of the Nelson Hackett Project. The forum about memorializing Hackett takes place at the Fayetteville Public Library at 6 Monday night. You can learn more at nelsonhackettproject.uark.edu. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Today we will hear from a Missouri real estate developer who's making a big splash in Northwest Arkansas's apartment sector. Tom Kyman is the founding principal of Mia Rose Holdings in St. Louis. The company has three projects totaling more than 600 units in various stages of development throughout Northwest Arkansas. The largest is a 234-unit complex that just opened this week near Arvest Ballpark in Washington County. It's called Pure Springdale. There's a similar project under construction along Interstate 49 in Lowell and another development coming to Rogers near the Scottsdale Center at the corner of West Olive and North 40th Streets. Tom Kyman is the developer, and we will hear from him after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create health care solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
Missouri developer Tom Kyman has three apartment projects totaling more than 600 units coming out of the ground in Springdale, Lowell, and Rogers. The first of those is a 234-unit development called Pure Springdale, and it opened this past week near Arvest Ballpark. I spoke with Kyman this week to discuss his investment and interest in Northwest Arkansas. Tell me what was appealing about Northwest Arkansas as a market to build in. What are are the fundamentals here that you saw that were just a a big green light to invest here? Um, I mean, we we know the population's booming. Was it something more than that, or just why was Northwest Arkansas attractive? Well, I'll tell you what, Paul. I mean, uh, Northwest Arkansas has been a part of my life for just over 20 years, so... Um, early on in my uh, design development and construction career, you know, we started doing some work uh, for a, a little-known company down there called Walmart. Right. And uh, so since I was about uh, 20, 21 years old, had started doing uh, some, big, um, some big projects for Walmart, uh, distribution centers and things of that nature all over the country with one of the first construction companies that I, that I worked with. So, um, one of the big, uh, uh, one of the big pieces of that, when you're doing work with Walmart, you, you've got to come see them. So, um, I got exposed to, uh, Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas, uh, early in my twenties and, uh, I fell in love with it. So love the area, love the people. Um, so it's really it's cool to kind of look back at that and see how long I've uh, you know been coming down there to now you know being a real estate developer and actually owning our own projects and developing our own projects and owning them and um, you know being in Northwest Arkansas doing that. So it's just uh, it's it's great. It's really exciting. Um, so I would say that that coupled with uh, some really strong personal relationships. Um, the Kimball family um, that owns Kimball Mechanical. Um, Rob is a Kimball is a very close friend of mine. Uh, I love spending time with him and the family. Um, so families are close, which is great. So you know, love the area, very familiar with it. Have some really close, deep relationships down there, and so it just makes a makes a lot of sense for us. Even though we're we are a Missouri-based developer. How do rates compare um, in this market, Northwest Arkansas, versus some of the other markets you operate in? And, and uh, what sort of price points do you expect to offer tenants uh, for your projects here? You know, the, the difference between, you know, our two big markets are Northwest Arkansas and St. Louis. The uh, very similar markets, you know, uh, Midwest-ish, um, I would say, though, the cost of living in Northwest Arkansas, you know, can range 10 to 15 percent lower um, than the St. Louis market, um, which is great. And I think that's what's attracting, um, you know, the growth. Well, I mean, let's be honest, the, the real growth is happening because of the jobs. Mm-hmm. Job creation in Northwest Arkansas is just it, it's it's amazing. It's very very awesome to see and to watch and the private companies that are you know investing in the area and growing the jobs is just it's something that just it doesn't exist in, in many other markets so that's that's uh, really important for us but yeah I would say in that 10 to 15 percent kind of 
um, uh, lower than the St. Louis market. Um, but, you know, for the, the product that we're bringing, you know, on board, you know, we're trying not to go super, super, super luxury that, you know, is just um, over-the-top pricing. Um, and we're trying to hit that, you know, the right, the sweet spot of the market. Um, so I would say the average, you know, for the product that we're bringing, you know, like we mentioned, we got 640 units, you know, that we're bringing on board between Springdale, Wall and, and Rogers. Um, you know, the average uh, of the ones and twos is probably in that um, 1200 to $1,300 um, per month per unit range. Um, so, you know, you have to be careful when you say, uh, you know, affordable housing. Some people think, you know, affordable housing means a little bit lower, right. you know, than yeah. average. But, I mean, I look at it just affordable housing for us is really, you know, can can most of the community afford, um, you know, that type of price point for that type, those type of finishes? Because, I mean, our product is still, it's still considered a luxury product. I mean, everything that we're doing with the finishes you know, our high end, but we're just not going over the top. So um, that's what I think the market um, of Northwest Arkansas is looking like, especially okay. with that the job growth that we just talked about. That is real estate developer Tom Kyman of Missouri. His company, Mia Rose Holdings, is building apartment projects in Springdale, Lowell, and Rogers, totaling more than 600 units. And Kyman says there will be more developments coming through the pipeline in other areas of northwest Arkansas. We will, of course, continue to report on the company's expansion and development in the region. And you can also learn more over on the company's website at miaroseholdings.com. In other news this week, there is new commercial development underway on North Steel Boulevard in Fayetteville. Nebraska engineering firm Olson and development firm Cushman and Wakefield Sage Partners in Rogers are partnering to build a new Class A office building with 36,000 square feet. Olson has 65 employees in Fayetteville and will relocate that office on Millsap Road to the new building as the anchor tenant. Sage Partners will market the remaining space for lease. C.R. Crawford Construction and Core Architects are working on the project, and Legacy National Bank is providing financing. Construction is scheduled to be completed by September 2023. After 43 years with the organization, Jerry Glidewell has announced he is retiring as the executive director of the Fort Smith Boys and Girls Club, effective September 1st. Beth Presley will replace him. Presley is the Vice President and Director of Community Outreach and Education for the Arvest Opportunity Fund. That is a subsidiary of Arvest Bank, where she has worked for the past 10 years. For all of those stories and more, visit us online at nwabusinessjournal.com and our sister website, talkbusiness.net, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is... Becca Martin-Brown, alive and out of Bella Vista. Features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. We haven't done this in person since early March 2020. 
which is ridiculous. Well, there were good reasons. Yes, there there are still some <laughs> yes, good reasons. Yes, yes. But it's weird. We were talking just before we came on the air that we don't feel like we haven't seen each other. No. I think we've run into each other a couple of times Twice, at events. I think in two and a half years. But it doesn't feel like we haven't seen each other. No. And it's so weird. The first time you're back here in the studio, I'm having you come in a day early. Yes. It is Roots Thursday Festival. because Roots Festival kicks off today. You talk about it because you're going to be involved in all of it. Well, it starts tonight with the regular Thursday night event, the kickoff with some live music. Tomorrow at noon, live show with so much packed. Brian Hembry has... He won't let me be on it because there's too much to get in it. So from noon to one, join us in the library. Join us on the air. It's free. Then live music all afternoon at the library. Not on the radio, but you can walk in. Main stage Friday night, Town Center. Late night stages, George's, and I think um, Kingfish. Mm-hmm. Saturday, Maybe Maxine's. And Maxine's, yes, thank you. Maxine's, definitely Maxine's. Saturday afternoon, five to six hours of free music in the event center at the library, main stage, late night. This weekend is also the Southern Gospel Picnic at Silver Dollar City. And this is every big name in Southern Gospel that you've ever heard of. I got to talk to the nicest lady, Lily Isaacs, from the Isaacs family. Mm-hmm. Nicest lady. Her kids sing with her. Usually she has a grandson on stage, some little grandchildren who come on stage. But here's what you don't know about her. She grew up in a Jewish home with parents that were Holocaust survivors. And all she said all her dad would ever say about his family was they died in the war. Didn't didn't go any further Mm -hmm. than that. And so it's she was a hippie singing, making music. When she met Joe Isaacs and the rest is history, and they've got everybody else there too, Jeff and Sherry Easter, the Hoppers, Karen Peck and New River, the Kingsman, the Martins, the Mark Trammell Quartet, you can get, like, I think all of the tickets are children's price, so I think it's $79 for everybody. Or all children at heart, I suppose. Yeah. You can find it more at SilverDollarCity.com. It continues through September 5th, but it starts full force today. And then also this weekend, live at Turnbow tonight. Right. The Duo Divinas and the Irene Lions, starting at 6.30. That's free in downtown Springdale. If you've got kids and you don't, can't, don't want to take them to any of these other things, they're <laughs> having a hula hooping class at 10 o'clock Saturday morning at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. That's fun. 15 bucks. Can you Never, No. I can't either. No, I can't belly dance either. It's just ugly and nobody wants to talk about that. If you're looking for something on my side of the weirdness of the world, mm-hmm. the Mutual UFO Network, yes, we do have a chapter here, is meeting at 10 o'clock Saturday morning at Explore Scientific, which is behind the Cracker Barrel in Springdale. They usually meet... At a completely different location, which has completely left me. Oh, at the Fayetteville Public at the Fayetteville Airport. Oh. But there's some reason they're meeting at Explore Scientific, which also gets you to see Explore Scientific. True. I mean, if you want to start a conspiracy, wait, MUFON can't be at the airport for some reason. Ooh. Look at me. Look at me except, diving into the X. Except X-Files the reason stuff. is sore. Oh, we know what the balloons. reason is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's going on this weekend too. Yeah. Soar for uh, yeah, hot air balloons. Yeah, 
For live, open avenues. For open avenues, they're going to have live music. They've got a car show. They've got all kinds of things. And it's not expensive either. No, I don't have the not. price written down. But there's also that. So no matter what you want to do, there's plenty to do. All right, you've come back. Is this going to become a habit for yes, us? Yes, it is. That's fantastic. It's also so much more fun. But if you don't have a Diet Coke for me next week, I'm going to demand a raise. Okay, it's been two and a half years. I, I'll double your pay. Becca exactly. Mar- that <laughs> means two Diet Cokes. Becca Martin-Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Magdalene Serenity House, a nonprofit committed to helping women rebuild their lives after trauma addiction, and incarceration will host their inaugural event, Rebuilding Her, Thursday, September 29th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. at Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville. The event will include a five-year birthday celebration of the organization, honoring the founders of the organization and recognizing the achievements of the graduates in their recovery journeys. For more information and tickets, lovehealsnwa.org. This is Ozarks at Large with me via Zoom on a Thursday. A day earlier than usual is Courtney Lanning, who always helps us understand brand new movies. Courtney, welcome a day early. Kyle, thanks for having me a day early. We're going to talk about a movie with someone who is no newcomer, to movies, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, this this is a guy that I think has a real bright future in the business. He is, what, 76, I think? Yeah. Um, he has been in the MCU. He's been in the DC universe. And now he is taking a shot with his own superhero movie that is not a pitiful attempt to adapt Judge Dredd. Which he did do. This one is called Samaritan, and he plays... Someone of age who is a superhero. Yes. So the basic premise of Samaritan is two brothers were born with super strength and endurance. They grew up fighting each other. One became a superhero. One became a supervillain. The superhero is named Samaritan. Uh, And then one day it's rumored that they both died in a fire while fighting each other at a power plant. The film then cuts to 25 years later and there's a, a little boy. Um, not little, 13-year-old boy, who uh, starts to notice his garbage man that lives next door is doing some, some strange stuff. He, he throws bullies several feet into the air. He survives getting run over by a car, just a real violent running over. Uh, and he begins to suspect that this individual, played by Sylvester Stallone, the garbage man, uh, is none other than Samaritan, who has survived and just been keeping his head down all these years. The idea of an aging superhero has been touched on lightly in some movies. I'm, I'm thinking of maybe Hancock with Will Smith. But also it was really delved into with the film uh, Logan. Yes, and I, I think I've told you before, I think Logan is the greatest superhero movie ever made. I would take that every day and twice on Sunday. Uh, but you're right. The idea of the aging superhero still has a bit of potential because – while we have a lot of superhero movies, the idea of a I'm retired or I have to come out of retirement, kind of Frank Miller, Dark Knight Returns-esque flavor uh, is still rather untread, aside from a couple examples we talked about. So does this one begin to live up to the potential? You know, I don't think it does. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the frustrating things about Samaritan. Um, I won't call it a bad movie. I'll call it a mixed bag. You can see in the writing where it has the potential to soar to really great heights if it was just 
just a little more thought out. The lore is pretty thin. You don't have decades of comic books to memorize to understand lore up to this point. But the story has a couple plot holes here and there. It doesn't always make much sense. So the the film really has to rely on its characters to get by with uh, Stallone, of course, having the chops to carry, go figure, an old man. Uh, And then we have uh, a villain who is rather fun as well. He's played by a name I won't even begin to pronounce, but he is famous for being Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm the millionth person to bring up how Westerns of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and into the 60s are much like the superhero films, kind of the dominant genre and the exploration of themes. And I think of Westerns about aging gunfighters, Shane or uh, the Shootist or the Cowboys, the man who shot Liberty Valance. And it's an interesting take when a genre has been around for a few decades, like, yeah, the fans who went first are now getting older. So I wish... I'm going to watch this, but I wish it had perhaps explored um, mortality a little bit more than it sounds like it did. Right. You know, when you have, when you say a retired superhero, that suggests a long-lived career of crime fighting. Right. So you, one of the great things you can do with a story like that is you can have flashbacks to instances where the hero goes, oh, I regret this, or I wish I had made a different choice here. And you could really enrich the character and the story that way. Unfortunately, uh, the movie isn't really interested in doing that. We don't get much about Stallone's past. We don't get a lot of flashbacks where he, oh, I wish I'd done this, or I have regrets about that. And it's it's kind of a bummer because that's one of the advantages of having an older superhero is you can have a storied past. That's on Amazon Prime streaming Friday, full review in the Democrat Gazette Friday. What else is coming out this weekend? So this is a movie I've actually been looking forward to for a while. It's called 3,000 Years of Longing, and it has Idris Elba playing a genie, along with Tilda Swinton. All right, what, are you, what will we talk about next week? Next week, I hope to review a new comedy out called Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. And it's kind of a religious, satirical comedy from what I understand. Courtney Lanning's full review in Fridays. Tomorrow's Democrat Gazette. Courtney, as always, thank you for your time. Kyle, thanks for having me. Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with bassoonist Lee Munoz performing Lapis Lazuli from Colored Stones, a piece by California-based composer Jenny Brandon. Brandon says about her piece, quote, Some cultures and spiritual practices believe stones have powerful qualities such as the ability to heal, protect, and offer spiritual guidance. In this piece, the bassoon explores these beautiful stones' unique qualities. Lapis lazuli was used by kings and queens in paintings and ceremonial robes. 
This deep blue stone is believed to help foster truthful expression and communication, support the immune system, and bring peace. End quote. I hope these qualities are passed into you while you listen to Lee Muñoz's magical performance. Basuni's Lee Muñoz's beautiful and expressive performance of Lapis Lazuli from Jenny Brandon's piece Colored Stones, a movement that portrays the beautiful blue color of the stone as well as its healing qualities. The contra bassoon is an instrument rarely heard on its own. The contra, as we call it lovingly, it's one octave lower than the bassoon and considerably larger. 
Quote, when my dear friend and very accomplished bassoonist Anthony Panther approached me to write a piece for him to showcase his contrabassoon, says L.A.-based composer Dave Volpe, I was inspired immediately. It isn't often we get to hear the contrabassoon on its own. As the lowest instrument in the orchestra, it is usually supporting the strings or brass with its sepulchral depths. Few are aware that this deep leviathan has a lyric side. Not only did I want to exploit its more expressive qualities, I wanted to take it to its extreme. I wanted to dance. And so poured out this tune that I called Oak Demon. It is taunting and playful, yet menacing at the same time. A combination that only a contrabassoon can achieve. End quote. Demon for solo contrabassoon by composer Dave Volpe, performed by Anthony Panther. Today was inevitable. As a bassoonist myself, I always want to share with you bassoon and contrabassoon performances that speak to my heart. And that was what I did today, highlighting the beautiful work of friends and colleagues, Lee Munoz and Anthony Panther, and composers Jenny Brandon and Dave Volpe. Rest assured that my instrument will return to sound perimeter, but sooner or later. 
This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. The 112 Drive-In will host its final double features this weekend. The 112 kept the drive-in movies rolling for four decades, even after outdoor screens began to disappear nationally. We wanted to learn more about drive-ins here, so we reached out to longtime Northwest Arkansas resident Bobby Smittle. He's well-known as Super Razorback fan Hognoxious. He's also an aficionado of drive-ins. There was the um, Tri-City Drive-In, <laughs> which was between Bentonville and Rogers, uh, when there used to be, a, uh, you know, actually a difference between Bentonville and Rogers up there. Right. And then north of, north of Springdale, there was a place called the Grove Drive-In. In fact, where you're looking, you can still see evidence of that drive-in theater. They didn't tear the screen down from that drive-in. Uh, it's just north of Wagon Wheel Road. The screen was still up in 2014 before they uh, tore it down. And, and the drive-in had been out of business forever. But then there was a 71 drive-in uh, down in Fayetteville, and I won't be there for the last night of the 112 drive-in, but I was there for the last night of the 71 drive-in and the first night of the 112 drive-in. All right, so last and first are things we remember. Was there anything about the last night at the 71 drive-in that sticks out in your mind? It was, it was an event, uh, what they wanted to do, and then they pulled it off. We all went to the 71 drive-in and watched the first feature, and I believe it was one of the Smokey and the Bandit movies. Uh, the older movie showed first because the better movie was going to show at the 112. And when the movie was over at the 71, we all got our car started and we followed a monster truck that drove over the, the ticket booth crushing it and then led the uh, convoy out to 112 drive-in where we all filed in and got our parking places and watched the movie Convoy with Chris Christopherson, Ernest Borgnine, um, Allie McGraw, and I think uh, uh, Burt Young and Ernest Borgnine was the sheriff, and Chris Christopherson was the rubber duck. And the movie was made from the song Convoy by C.W. McCall, and it was the first time they were showing Convoy at the drive-in, and they have built this new drive-in out here because the old one was going to be turned into Fiesta Square. I know there's one in Mountain View, that may be the last one in Arkansas. Oh, there's one in uh, there's one in Mountain View, and there's one in Marshall. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, on, yeah, on, on, on Highway 65 
near the Buffalo River. Uh, the city of Marshall has a has a drive-in. And those those are the only two. I, I believe those are the only two remaining in the state of Arkansas. It was it, drive-in movies were were good to go to. You could get five or six dollars a carload, or you know, in the old days it was cheaper. Uh, it, it was a great experience. You could take a a cooler and and have sandwiches and coke all night and not have to go to the uh, concession stand. And you could see all your friends. You know, Greece is going to be, uh, what I guess, the, one of the last two movies shown at the 112. And it has that scene at the drive-in. And that wasn't far away from from what going to the drive-in uh, experience was like. We were all there. We were all cutting out. We'd all visit with each other. And uh, occasionally we would watch the movie. Bobby Smittle talked to us yesterday, and he's right. The last two drive-ins in Arkansas are in Mountain View and Marshall. It was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We is heading for Bear on I-10, about a mile out of Shaky Town. I says, Pigpen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. So anytime, anytime you say, oh, the music was so much better back when, <laughs> just remember that. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and OARC. Maybe we'll see someone from OARC at the Fayetteville Public Library tomorrow for the live Roots Festival Ozarks at Large broadcast. Contributors on today's show included Matthew Moore, Becca Martin-Brown, Courtney Lanning, and Paul Gatling. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. We will see you tomorrow at the Fayetteville Public Library for the return of the live Roots Festival episode after a three-year absence. It is absolutely free. It's an hour filled with great music and conversation. It's tomorrow in the Event Center. So remember, if you got there late in the past, you'd have to maybe go to the Overflow Room and just watch on TV. It's not going to be a problem this year. It's three times the capacity as what we've been had. We've talked to your boss they say it's okay. We'll see you at noon tomorrow at the Fayetteville Public Library for a live Ozarks at Large Roots Festival broadcast. If you can't be there, join us right here on KUAF on the radio. See you at the library tomorrow. I'm Kyle Kelms. Thanks for listening.